All right, good morning. Uh, here's what I, I, I want you to do. I, I, I want you to think in your mind of this simple question. Do you know anybody in your life that is difficult to love? Now, don't, don't point at your spouse right now. <laughs> Take, just be calm. It seems like the last few years, difficult people have reproduced themselves very fast. I mean, you come to this time of the year normally, and it's a little bit crazy. You see those crazy family members? It's complicated. Maybe you're even worried already as you've walked into this month. We know there's a couple things that we don't talk about around the dinner table. You know those things, religion and politics. But there seems to be a third one now that's entered in, and that's science. I didn't know anybody was an expert in science till the last few years. Now everyone's an expert. They're a scientist because they've watched three YouTube videos and listened to a podcast. You know what I'm talking about. So you add religion, you add politics, now you have science. It's almost like the unholy trinity that we've created. And in that all, we've created some of the most mean people that we know. How many of you, once again, have someone that's difficult to love? You know, someone has said that this is the age of perpetual offense. We're quick to become angry. We're quick to judge. We're quick to call foul. We're quick to become quickly offended. What I've noticed is that if I'm on a search to be offended, I'm always going to find what I'm looking for. If I'm looking to be hurt, to be offended, to be wrong, to be angry, I will always find what I'm looking for. I've never heard anyone say this to me. Man, I am so much better. My life is so much better because I'm angry and I find fault everywhere I go. People are hurting. People are on the edge. There's a ton of uncertainty. People are going to hurt us. We said this a couple months ago. We need to recognize that being offended is inevitable. But living offended... Staying offended is always a choice. We need to choose wisely this Christmas season. Uh, Romans 12, verse 14 through 18. If you have your Bibles, go there. We'll hop around a little bit in Romans. But Romans 12, verse 14 says this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Well, that's sure easy to read, isn't it? but very difficult to live out. We could say this, blessed are, 
Uh, Bless those who are mean to you. Bless those who are short with you. Bless those who disagree with you. Well, what does it mean to actually bless people? The word bless comes from the Greek word. You're going to see it on the screen behind me. You logo. You logo. EU means good. Logos means word. What this word, you logo, means is a good word, or very literally, this is what it means is to speak well or to wish the best blessings for someone. Speak well of and wish blessings on those who betray you. I don't know about you, but it's really easy for me to bless people who I like. It's the rest of you that make it difficult for me. Good, you're still awake. It's easy to be a blessing to people that we, we enjoy, that lift us up, that are generous. It's incredibly difficult when someone offends you, when someone's harsh to you, When someone belittles you, when someone leaves you out, when someone hurts your feelings. Now, I'll be honest, there's a sick part of me. When someone I don't like, when someone I don't trust, when someone I don't respect has something bad happen in their life, there's a sick part of me that kind of likes it. You guys can all look at me and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. How about that guy that is driving down the road in that red sports car and he's going really fast and suddenly the police pulls him over? Don't you just want to roll down your window and say, you reap what you sow? They've got what's coming to them. But Paul gives us a very specific and direct command. In the Greek language, Paul says, uh, his command is actually called a present imperative. Here's the fancy theological part for today. Anytime in the Greek language that you see a a present imperative, it means that you're told to do it and keep doing it. It's not a one-time action. Very literally, when Paul said that we're to bless those who persecute us, it could be translated today in 2022 to this. Be a continual blessing to those who give you continual problems. I don't know about you, but I could be a blessing to someone for about a good solid five seconds. If they're continually a burden to me or they're offensive to me, at some point, what do we want to do? We want to retaliate. The flesh in us wants to retaliate. So here's Paul giving us this imperative inspired by the Holy Spirit that we as Christ followers are to be a continual blessing to those who are a continual problem. I don't know about you, but it's completely impossible in my own nature to ever do that. Look back at Romans chapter 12 that we started with. Look at verse 1. Paul writes this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to present, to, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Paul says something that's incredibly rich here. In view of God's mercy. Friends, how merciful has God been to us? How much has he forgiven us when we don't deserve it? How much has he blessed us 
beyond what we've earned. In view of that, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's goodness, in view of God's grace, Paul tells us to do what? To offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. In view of what God's done for us, offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, your true and proper worship. See, worshiping God isn't the songs we sing. It's the life we live. Loving people as we've been loved is a spiritual act of worship. So how do we do this? Paul says to be a living sacrifice. Man, that seems like a contradiction of terms. Living sacrifice? Maybe you're like me. When I think of sacrifices, what do you think? They're dead. Anytime an animal was sacrificed, if the animal knew that they were taking volunteers, how many little lambs do you think would say, pick me? When you think of a living sacrifice, I think of the Lamb of God who, when he was alive, said, I am willing to die. I'm a living sacrifice. No one chooses to give their life, but it's not my life that I lay down. I lay it down for you. See, we lay down our own selfish desires. That's what's being said when we talk about a living sacrifice. Paul said this, interesting, in Galatians 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now, I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how do we love people, friends? It's not me. I don't have that ever in me, in my own self. My own self wants to hit back, to fight back, to retaliate. But it's not me, it's Christ. Go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 16. He says this, live in harmony with one another. That's a great verse until you go to Cross Iron Mills on a Saturday. (laughs) Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud Don't be conceited. Don't be proud. Don't be conceited. In the Greek language, let me tell you how that's translated. You ready? It literally means do not be proud. Don't be conceited. I don't know about you, but the last few years, I haven't seen that many humble and unconceited people. I'm I'm right. I've watched four YouTube videos. I've listened to three podcasts. I've got a friend who knows someone who just sent me an email. I'm right. I mean, I saw it on Facebook. Everyone else is wrong. Remember, Jesus didn't tell us to be right. Jesus told us to be loving. He didn't say the world was going to know that we believe in him by how correct we are. Jesus said they'll know by how much we love. If you can't imagine for a moment how someone could love Jesus from a different perspective, at a different point in their walk than you can, then friends, we're sadly mistaken. When people talk this Christmas, don't listen to respond. Don't listen to correct. 
Listen to understand and listen to love. See, we start with grace and then we move to truth. If you can't understand another perspective, your impact will always be limited. We're followers of Jesus. We're bigger than that. I read an author this week who explained it this way. The author said that you're going to face conflict and you're going to face misunderstandings and you're going to face differences of perspectives because you don't understand. Our brains are biologically wired to protect and defend. When you tend to, when you tend, what you tend to do is to tell your story. That explains whatever part that we don't understand. So if someone is unkind with us or short or has a different opinion about something, we make up a story to fill in the gaps. We do this all the time. For example, if I'm short with you or I'm late or I've done something wrong, I judge myself by my own intentions. But I tend to judge you all by your actions. In other words, if I wasn't kind or I was a little bit short, I'll say, hey, you know who I am. You know my intention. That wasn't what I meant. I mean, I was running late, and you should understand. I'm good, right? We're fine. But if you're short with me, I judge you by your actions. You're a jerk. You're a loser. You need Jesus. What we tend to do is tell ourselves a story about something we don't understand. And guess what the devil wants to do? The devil wants us to tell another story of someone else so that we can accuse them. Because he's the great accuser. If someone does something to hurt me or offend me, he wants me to say, well, I can't trust them. Well, he's only out for himself. People are always going to lie to you. Or they're always going to let you down. Or Christians aren't this. They're not bad. Conservatives this. Liberals are that. My mom's always going to. My dad always is going to. Satan wants our stories rooted in accusations. What does God want? God wants our stories rooted in love. What do accusations do? Accusations erode marriages. Accusations split friendships. Accusations divide churches. Ephesians, Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians 4 verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Friends, they're not going to know how much we love them by how correct we are. Living offended is a choice. I tell myself over and over and over this truth. This Christmas, start to tell yourself that truth. There's going to be a slide that appears, and this is huge for us. Your calling is won by God himself to show his love. Your life, friends, is too short, and your calling is too great to be offended by something small. Imagine if Jesus was offended. Think about it, how he couldn't do his mission. Imagine if Jesus was easily offended. Matthew, you weren't paying attention to my sermon. I said, blessed are the meek, for they'll inherit. You didn't even write that down. I healed 10 lepers. Only one came back. No one cares for me. No one appreciates me. I've got to stop now. 
Thomas, you didn't even brag on my miracle. I raised the dead. I just didn't open blind eyes. I raised a dead person. Thomas, you're always doubting. I just can't count on you, Thomas. Here's what a wise man wrote in Proverbs 19, verse 11. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to look look over an offense. Wouldn't it be amazing... That because of God's love for us, we got better at overlooking offenses. But what does it mean to overlook an offense? This is not the same as pretending it didn't happen. Overlooking an offense is a conscious decision to let it go. It's essentially like real-time forgiveness. It's forgiveness in the moment. The word overlook in the Hebrew is the word avor. And it means to pass over to get up above. Friends, my mission is more important than this. My calling is greater than this. Someone's rude to you? I'm over it. Your mother-in-law corrects your kids again? That's a tough one. I'm over it. Someone makes a passive-aggressive statement? I'm over it. Your spouse makes fun of the way you chew or walked or how you unload the dishes? I'm over it. Friends, we've got more important things to do. Apply this to the person at the mall. Apply it to the person that you love the most. We sometimes differ on philosophies of parenting, Michelle and I. Sometimes we disagree on how I should even lead the church. We get into arguments that are bathed in love. Here's the key thing. Love doesn't seek to win the argument. Love seeks to protect the relationship. Church, hear me in this. In our effort to be right, some of us have forgotten to be loving. Romans 12 verse 18 says this, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with with everyone. That means the person that you're not talking to right now. As far as it goes with you, you're going to do what's right. That person who is really rude to you, that person who wronged you, that person who took advantage of you, as far as it depends on you, you're going to do what's right. I'm going to say it again. Listen to me. Your life is too short. Your calling is too great to be offended by something small. You still have a chance. You still have a chance with your fractured marriage to be healed. You still have a chance with that child or that mom or that dad that you haven't talked to for years. You still have the chance to ask for forgiveness from someone who you wronged or they wronged you. It's a tough assignment. We can't do it on our own. We need help from the one who is peace and brings relational peace. Yes, It takes two to reconcile, but it takes one to forgive. It takes two to reconcile, but it takes one to be loving. And so, today, as far as it depends on you, we're going to work to live at peace with everyone. I want you to grab your communion elements. This is one of the cool things that we get to do together. This is one of the tools in the church that unites us. 
We don't check membership here. We don't go, okay, uh, could you show me your card that allows us here to give you one of the daybreak elements? This table is open for everyone. The only requirement is that you have to accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And I don't think there would be a better time to accept Christ into your heart than in the month of December at the communion table. Uh, you don't have to be perfect. You could have heard my message and went, man, there's some people in my life that I need to talk to this afternoon. And you can still come to the table because what Jesus did was he was that willing lamb who went, pick me. And as he sacrificed his life, instantly restoration happened. But the really cool thing is that Jesus is the apex to the story. He's the pinnacle of the story. But then quickly he looked at his disciples and said, go into all the world and make disciples. And Paul writes in his letters to the church in Corinth, he goes, we are ambassadors or agents of restoration to a world that desperately needs it. So we're called to do the same thing that Jesus did. And Jesus looked at his disciples in John 17 and said, you guys are going to do even greater things than I've done. And that challenge has not been removed. And so today, as we come into this communion celebration, we get the opportunity to kind of wrestle in our hearts going, where are those dark spots in our heart? Gives us a a chance to evaluate. And then also do what Paul said in his letter to the church in Corinth. We get to look at each other and go, we serve a God who's alive and not dead. We get to proclaim And so today we're going to do this together. I'd I'd encourage you to to just peel back that first layer and grab the, the bread. The bread was the physical side. It represented his body that was broken for us. And so I'd love for you to grab the wafer and just break it. So just take a second, break it. That's his body that was broken for us. And Jesus said, take and eat. This is my body that's broken for you. So let's take this together. And he didn't stop there. That was the physicalness. Then he grabbed the the cup. And this is what he said, I have eagerly waited. Like my 33 and a half years on life, I've waited for this moment. And this moment's here now. And Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. This is for the forgiveness of sins, the, the wiping out of sins. This is so we could actually have 1 John 1, 9 that says, if we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God looks at us not with our dark spots, not with the things that we didn't do right. God looks at us and goes, you're pure. You're holy. You're set apart. So as we take the cup and drink the juice that represents his blood, We do it with thankful hearts. Let's take it together. God, we are in awe of your great gift. Thanks for the opportunity to celebrate communion together. We ask all this in your most powerful name. Amen.